What is creativity? What are its origins? And how do we access creativity in our lives? This podcast explores the intersection of creativity, innovation, and everyday life. At this crossroads, we experience wonder and magic and, if we're lucky, transformation. It's the Quotidian. Welcome back to The Quotidian. I'm Bradley Dennis. Last week, we spoke with Jeff Barney, restaurateur, scholar, and local community builder about his thoughts regarding how creative thinking and community building can save the world. This week, the conversation continues. He elaborates on educational transformation and engaging problem spaces. We talk a little bit about Rudolf Steiner, the Austrian theosophist, and his foundational educational system, the Waldorf School. We look at the need for clear sense-making and meaning-making tools for young people moving forward and why this is easier than it sounds. It's a nice conclusion to the first episode where we raised many of the questions that are answered here. As always, if you like what you hear and you want more, you can support the podcast in several ways. Like and subscribe on whatever platform brings you your podcasts. You can share with others and... As of this episode, you can join our Patreon page. Links are in the description. Thank you, as ever, for being here and joining in the conversation. If you know someone living a creative life that helps affect positive change, we'd like to hear about it. Go to www.thequotidianpod.com and let us know. We might just get them on the podcast. Until then, please enjoy the conclusion of my conversation with the wonderful Jeff Barney. I, speaking of, <clears throat> of world citizens and, you know, you mentioned education earlier, you are a proponent of Waldorf uh, and Rudolf Steiner's um, education system. And I'm curious to hear you talk about that a little bit, because I, I think as we're, as we're talking about how do we help people gain these tools for relevance, realization, and sense-making in, in what has become an increasingly intolerant society and <clears throat> where so many different elements are vying for our attention, giving our kids, giving people the tools to be able to do this is primary in my mind. And that, again, coming back to the, the whole mission of Carolina Commons is to do this for you know, young adults to adults. 
But for you, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about why Waldorf and what that represents and, and, and to get into that a little bit. Because <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, well. it's somewhat unusual. And Steiner is probably not real well known to a lot of people. No, not even. I mean, um, I would say that the, the, the folks that you and I are um, inspired by, engaged with in, in this space... Um, certainly know about him. Anybody who knows uh, about somebody like Piaget in human development, but a Pia Piaget was a genius of of extraordinary proportions. We're just beginning to uncover that, and must, much of his work isn't even um, translated into English. And he was primarily primarily a, an epistemologist um, around the time. Um, in uh, slightly after the time of Steiner, and what Steiner recognized was that they were contemporaries, somewhat. Yeah, okay. somewhat. Piaget followed in 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 the in the into the mid part of the century. Steiner was born in, in the eighteen sixties, died at, 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 at prematurely, I would say, in nineteen twenty five. Do you know if Steiner and Jung had any relationship? Uh, he wrote a book uh, um, with a bit of a critique of Jung and Freud. They had they had um, um, Jung and Freud were students of uh, among others Franz Brentano who was a, mm -hmm. a phenomenologist who sort of abandoned the phenomenology project uh, in which 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 uh, which is a, maybe a conversation for another day yeah, we'll a um, and that's a pro that's problematic that that uh -huh. that that phenomenology was abandoned by psychology and turned into psychology turned into pharmaceutical psychiatry on one hand and the behavioral sciences which are were used to craft the public relations industry in the 20th century right. which is a which is an, again another conversation but extraordinarily related to this one i make a note <laughs> yeah well well it's because much because of that which, which also has uh, resulted in the advertisement model of our social media uh, superstructures that are are dominating our society and and um, hijacking limbic systems and capturing, uh, commodifying attention spans and this attention itself, intention. So, as you so well connected the two, that's that's what Steiner was warning against. Mm -hmm. He he saw it all coming, um, uh, and uh, he saw it coming in in in. And there, he's not the only one who saw these things coming in piecemeal. You know, there there was the the Romantics saw. Goethe, Coleridge, um, uh, uh, that German idealist—they all saw what was happening when we eviscerated meaning from the body, human. And uh, and um, Steiner wrote a book, which was my first introduction to Steiner, called uh, because I was a Nietzsche—I won't say scholar, but. Uh, Fanatic, maybe is the better way to put it, because mm -hmm. I was finding real encouragement as a person, as a developing person who, who didn't think that he had any um, anything to offer from an intellectual standpoint. Yeah. Like, just thought that I was, you know, kind of dumb, or uh, the people around me were pretending that I was smarter than I was, and you know that sort of thing. A just of like the fraud syndrome. Yes, the yeah. fraud syndrome or the yeah. imposter syndrome, and uh, and and Nietzsche really fastened some courage for me. Or I, or I was able to fasten courage in relationship to it. I would say in conversation with him. And Nietzsche left these questions, right? It's like, I don't know, but we should be studying this. 
it's the more subtle realities, mm -hmm. um, what Goethe called the subtle empiricism. And Steiner built something that out of that, out of Nietzsche's work in part, out of Goethe's work more primarily, uh, Goethe's scientific work, and put an epistemology underneath what is now I think we would know as complex dynamical systems and emergence theory. There's philosophy of freedom is his, uh, his philosophical magnum opus. It's a thin volume, but it's, a, it's an extraordinarily um, profound piece of Western philosophy. Steiner saw the need for, the, he saw the meaning crisis coming. Yeah. Right. And um, I remember okay. before I even knew about Steiner, I was like, this world is fucking corrupt, man. <laughs> so we got to do something about this. Yeah. And, I, and I'm casting about uh, verging on suicidal depression in my early 20s, um, uh, learning this trade and then wondering what the fuck I'm doing this for, you know, and coming to my, 27, 28 year old self uh, taking a history and philosophy of science class and going, mm -hmm. this is just a belief system, right? Like this is just one belief system among many as the postmodernists would come along and point out. Yeah. With all of that, with, with a similar uh, urgency, I would imagine, but much more developed personhood, Steiner developed this approach called spiritual science, which was to give, um, to take the scientific method and do what Goethe referred to as subtle empiricism. And so he, he looked at the um, all aspects, human physiology, the um, human psycho-spiritual uh, life, and put forward a, a kind of threefold ontological framework that's rooted in a threefold metaphysical framework. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a conversation for another time. And as, as I was casting about, going back to me in my late 20s, I finally came to the notion that education was the only th only way things were going to change. That 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 uh, and and in fact, as being a product of that education, seeing it as the degenerator of human culture in some in many respects, it was perhaps right for its time in industrial in its industrial um, beginnings, but. A commodification of the child is not the way forward, let's say. Right. And so Steiner foresaw that. And then he had also this uh, complex ontology and developmental approach to not only childhood, but human development. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I mentioned Piaget earlier because it, uh, Waldorf maps pretty well onto Piagetian child development stages. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't. It doesn't stop there. It, yeah. it also um, has a, uh, um, a cosmological point of view, and it also has a, um, an idea that, that, that we are, and this is Steiner who coined this phrase, by the way, and you've probably heard it. Um, we are, um, we're not physical beings having spiritual experiences. We're spiritual beings having physical experiences. Yeah. And that's what embodiment means to me, is that mm -hmm. we're moving out of a um, creative spiritual reality that is inherent in all living forms Going from left to right and from top to bottom yeah vertical head head to bowel uh or head to toe mm -hmm. uh to horizontal sense making mm -hmm. to um dimensional depth perception Right. And so, so, for example, very practically to bring it down to the practical, the Waldorf folks talk about something that 
cognitive science is starting to understand uh, that the way that the way, for example, a child's eyes move around a room, and if the room is has contours, has um, organic form, and colors that that have layer and depths, depth, the 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 kinesthetics of their eye movement translate later into um, a depth of perception, which translates also into a depth of thinking. Mm-hmm. And um, what the world needs now is a depth of thinking. Yeah. Um, and that is multi-perspectival. Clearly, I need to do some research on Steiner because the, oh, okay. it sounds very intuitive. And to hear you say that is very uh, makes perfect sense. And I'm really curious about, you know, and I can kind of almost feel my left brain coming in. Like, let's have some empiric <laughs> facts about this. But No, I love that. That's what I love about Miguel Crest <laughs> is, is that he... he he places in within a neuroscientific framework mm-hmm. a way in which the, the 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 architecture which is a living architecture plays out physically right doesn't mean that that's all there is yeah. it just means like whoa wait a minute here's evidence for what i have intuitions for right right and so steiner in fact talked about uh so you have now in cognitive science and people like verveke who are great proponents of of developing the imaginal and the relationship and that the imaginal is a real phenomenal experience and mm-hmm. and out of out of that uh is some really important work it's a third of the work though and 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 steiner talks about the imaginal being uh, a sort of liminal experience mm-hmm. um with and that has an has a ontological reality itself mm-hmm. right that is rooted in a metaphysical reality that is isomorphic to other complex uh, metaphysical realities and that inspiration is a human function that when the imagination is developed well enough which is what they are doing in the early part of old earth the imagination is quieted some mm-hmm. right it's uh the motion picture is 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 uh willfully um muted in the bit. adult muted some and inspiration occurs this is what i think verveke talks about his insight yeah there's but it's a it's a sustained ability to perceive through inspired consciousness say which is different than imaginal consciousness mm-hmm. and then finally you quiet that inspiration which is something like music something like uh it's something like it's something like that which happens between the, the silence that happens between people that's the, the that is the emergent meaning in between the negative space that defines things right that is yeah. it's it is music but it's it's a tonal without sound mm-hmm. and so this comes to you like like i remember when i first got turned on to jazz i didn't really understand it but i woke up one morning and um, i had jazz as part of the alarm on the radio alarm's not the right way to put it it came on and i was getting pure information so inspiration is something like that Mm -hmm. and then um in the developmental process one who develops who has intuition already we're we're all gifted with it there's the there's the inherent embodied version of it which is instinct but intuition is something that can be cultivated right and that this the, the the quieting even of that silence then is is reborn, resurrected in the vessel of intuition, where the imagination and the inspiration wake back up, and and then you have this cognitive experience 
that is multidimensional, mm-hmm. right? So, and then so, how, how does how does the Waldorf model and Steiner's model take those modes of being and actualize? Like you talked about, there's sort of the the Verveke's touching a third of it. Yeah, where does where's that third thing? <laughs> for for those you know the intuitive and the imaginal where's how does the actualization it's good. happen it's good yeah it's within the it's within the the model and method then so mm-hmm. the model of is of human development and mm-hmm. so things that are done that in with a 6 year old are going to come to fruit as a 40 year old or something along those lines so there's actually one to one so it's very much concepts. developing the arbor upon which the the vine grows indeed and there's both linear growth and reciprocal growth, mm-hmm. um, but the linear growth is sort of the Piagetian picture of the of what a seven year old is as opposed to a fourteen year old. Yeah. So in in the early years of Waldorf, they're developing the kinesthetic learning process to put it in modern terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're they're uh, you know children can are learning language by you know basically eating language by. Uh, by uh, just absorbing it in at, at rates uh, we don't understand, yeah. and the idea there, from let's say an ontological standpoint, now use Steiner's language. Um, you can use any language you want, chi or whatever. Is that in the in the human um, in the child up to the age of seven, uh, there are formative forces at work, and he refers to those as the etheric forces, mm-hmm. um, and they're at work sculpting the body. Of the child. This is over overly simplistic, but it, it'll mm-hmm. serve um, as a low resolution view yeah. to answer your question. Um, and then at at around seven years old, when things start to harden, the bones start to fuse, teeth are starting to be exchanged for for the for the uh, the, the loose ones for the bigger ones that are are lifelong teeth. That that energy is freed for uh, for the next phase of development, mm-hmm. and so the education meets that phase and they ref- as an education of feeling from then so you go from like an education of willing or kinesthetic or meeting the children where they are developing play is huge observing that, that play was the word that came to my rhythm mind. is huge yeah. you know and that play later becomes the kind of adult play that we're doing right now mm-hmm. you, you know so we 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 want to be able to in- instill each other you know with that this this kind of play because right now the joy of this conversation um speaks for itself right yeah and and um in any case so so then then this from seven to 14 around puberty uh there's the development of the mastery of feeling Mm -hmm. and actually in my words not steiner's words or anybody else's i believe what's happening is then feelings are turned into perceptual organs of uh, organs of perception mm-hmm. and there's another whole conversation because steiner brings the notion of 12 senses as opposed to would you call that intuition uh i would call it uh <clears throat> i would call that probably related to the develop the, the the curation and development of potential of adult inspiration later on not because not it's, necessarily intuition. it's an internal landscape but it's relational to an external landscape yes yeah Yes, and they're they're broadening. So there's much about the, the whole curriculum and, and methodology is associated with this process. So they're again, as I mentioned, geography. They're starting to to see the relational, in the world, mm-hmm. right? Like they come in as gods, 
right. then they have to become human <laughs> yeah. and sort of experience the temporal and the tragedy of life as yeah. Zach Stein so beautifully puts it in his pre-tragic, tragic and post-tragic mm-hmm. picture of, of, of the human developmental experience that's really well captured in this ensoulment process. Mm-hmm. So you could say that the soul is being cultivated, right? Where the, the it's a very f- Buddhist <laughs> framework. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's not unrelated, right? Yeah. It's um, it's uh, it's not unrelated. Uh, um, Steiner's work is not unrelated to the eightfold path. Yeah, um, um, it's not. Uh, it's not a copy. It's not an addendum. It's, I would say, an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because we aren't who we were when Buddha was alive. We're we've, we're different. Sure. Right. So Absolutely. so that's a that is a that's a, that's a, a reality to live with, which is also good. Waldorf education will be taking this into consideration. Yeah. We're also not when where we were when Steiner was producing the education. Yet mm-hmm. there's something timeless about it. Something perennial. So it's part of our work is to to notice what's perennial and yeah. what's not. I'm know? reminded also hearing you talk about that process and the sort of matriculation of of modality through the the Waldorf system of when when Jung encountered his dark night of the soul and really started to have these waking visions and felt like he was kind of going nuts that it was only when he got back in touch with his childhood and literally started doing physically the exact same things that he did when he was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, building little villages with stones was his process that he was able to get back in touch with that inner dialogue. I mean, ultimately it produced the red book and ultimately produced yes. a bunch of these yeah. very intense Right. Well we were talking about the focal right mm-hmm. right the practice the 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 like making the food like yes right wax on wax off right there's carrying the stone it's you know, that this, meaning yeah it's that when you find the the embodiment of of that meaning yeah. for yourself and it seems like it varies with each person mm-hmm. that is the pathway to that individuation process mm-hmm. to that that sort of those uh trifold um perspectives that you're talking about of intuition and uh, inspiration imagination and actualization yeah yeah it gives you hope too right because you think um wow i didn't get this education what about Mm -hmm. me because that's what i thought when i first walked into a waldorf (laughs) kindergarten (laughs) right i was like holy shit i want to start all over again yeah and in a sense it's possible Mm -hmm. um um, maybe not as literally as even maybe as young did but but it does give one hope that that there's well, there's things that were arrested like yeah. and and I, and I um that's what sometimes I hesitate to like describe what my ideas of Waldorf are because because um it's a little bit like <clears throat> upending people's worldview you know like like that not not the worldview that they believe in but that the, but the world <coughs> the worldview that they are in some ways um I don't want to put it victim of or the product of something like our world produces products, yeah. right? And we're that all makes... somewhat a product, and it's a it's it's a because of that we're a damaged product, all of us inherently. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, there's no there's no way around it. There's right. ain't nobody innocent. It's a here, used car the right? moment you drive it off the lot. <laughs> ain't nobody not scarred. Right. Exactly. And uh, yeah. And so just to, just around that picture up, then then the then the last 
um, part into high school is is an is an education of thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's an education of willing, education of feeling, an education of thinking, so that those things can become the vessel for mm. the child to pick up their bed and walk, so to speak, right? To take up their karma and 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 head into um, the experience Adult of creating life. a life. Yeah, that's beautiful, and it seems, uh, you know, I think probably the biggest critique that I've heard levied against Waldorf. <clears throat> and I've been guilty of myself as is, you know, to put it mildly, kind of touchy feely that it's kind of hippy dippy woo woo granola. <laughs> um, but when I really consider what we're talking about, those are the very aspects of life that we have sidelined and marginalized in deference to the left hemisphere way of thinking, in deference to empiricism, in deference to materialism, right. and that. Why trust one extreme and not the other? Right. I was tearing a little bit when you when you started to ask the question. It's a real gift for you to ask that question. Oh, good. I really appreciate you asking that question. And I know that people are somewhat allergic to Waldorf also because there's the spiritual aspect of it. And, right. And what you are mentioning doesn't has not allowed for that. But what I what I saw as a in my late twenties as the needs for society. Has only become has only become more the case. Mm-hmm. The more we commonly understand that there's an epistemic commons, the more that we commonly understand that uh, that that we're going to need to take up uh, an epistemology, or we're going to be given one, mm-hmm. um, and it's not going to be um, of our own own agency, and that 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 means that we're moving toward authoritarianism because you can't. Because you're systematically removing thinking from your process, yeah, right. And thinking, as I mentioned before, I believe uh, is 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 rich with feeling mm-hmm. and in and embodied kinesthetic learning. And again, does not occur in the brain. It occurs in the space. Right. It occurs in relation. In relation. Yeah. Yes. And that that understanding that I think is is what you're talking about. Yeah. And that that's that's primal to. To thinking effectively. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so the uh, in, and what part of me wants to address the hippy dippy granola kind of thing, um, but we need it. We know we need. Um, it's it's we, it's it's system. It's a systematic response. Right. I, I guess the way I was <clears throat> going to answer it and began to is that um, that point of view um, has gotten us where we are. Yes, and uh, it's a uh, it's a materialistic point of view, and and it's a uh, and and it's a materialist because it's a materialistic point of view, and it's fo- focused on uh, objectivity. It can't inhabit the world. Uh, so this is kind of really what I want to say. This is a thing I've been kind of working on lately. Um, what is reality? What is it to be a human being? Um. I know for I know for sure that there's no such thing as objects from an ontological framework. Like, so if ont- if ontology defines reality to some extent, in other words, if it's the framework that has associated with it being, objects don't have being, which means I can't inhabit them and see from their point of view. If there's if I can't inhabit something, um, it is not alive. So it doesn't have um, 
ontological. It doesn't have an ontological. It's an abstraction from life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and abstracting from life is the definition of insanity. Um, so we, what, what I think Waldorf provides is an inhabiting of, of life. So uh, uh, I like Verveke's picture of um, the uh, uh, transjective, interjective, and subjective. Mm-hmm. And all three of those are, are perspectives that have their own reality that need to be taken seriously for their for their ontological framework rooted in a, a metaphysical reality. I would say that's that latter part is my addition to that. Yeah. Perhaps going with <clears throat> Zach Stein's triplet of the transcendent, the ensouled, and the, and the developmental. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, materialism has left us with um, consumerism, um, um, scientific materialism, a meta narrative that there's no such thing as a self. Uh, there's no such thing as a person who develops, who has agency, who's we're just biochemical outgas, something like that. Um, and uh, it's inadequate. Um, and there's plenty that is adequate that we can tap into. And mm-hmm. and Waldorf is represents that. It's not the only. One, I think Montessori is a is a is a good one. Uh, you went to friend school, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a different place now than it was then, but but they're it's they're human centered and child centered approaches. Yeah. Uh, what what hasn't been given enough credit, I would say, as relates to Waldorf, is the is the profound um, complex of of um, of understanding of what a human being is. In relationship to those realities, and the thing that those three models—you know, friend schools, Quaker-based, um, Waldorf with Steiner, Montessori, Maria Montessori, and 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 associated systems—are an acknowledgement, if not overt, inherent of the spiritual, and and a a connection to that, or at least a deep connection to a philosophy of spirituality, mm-hmm. which clearly, <laughs> if you're looking at any sort of systematized public education, at least in this country, is intentionally left out of. And so, you know, to kind of return back to the the hippie, uh, crunchy granola label, what that is, is a fear of the human and a fear of the spiritual because that is essentially what those philosophies look at and turn to is an acknowledgement right of that right well in in thousands of years of study yes uh, empirical study of that interiority in from uh, moving backwards to like Sri Aurobindo into the uh, 2500 3000 year tradition of people who paid own, almost exclusive attention to the spiritual and the way the spiritual is related with mm-hmm. that which matters. And this gets back to the ritual that matter. we started talking about, which was we are dependent on the cycles of nature, and we are dependent on the harvest. We are dependent on one another for shelter, for warmth, for hunting, for all of the these systems which 
as a result of the material, as a result of the, the scientific method and this empiricism, have become, again, marginalized and obfuscated because they are systematized and because we've focused so strongly on the industrial industrialization of all those methods, we've left the, the interpersonal out of it. And so I think there is a, a, an encultured distrust of that that is what we're, we're talking about getting back to. And that's what, for Vicky, that's what sense-making is, I think. That's what's behind the curtain of sense-making. Well, and I also think that's, uh, the, and meaning-making, and those, the differentiation to those, yeah. between those two is important because um, without meaning-making, there is no sense. Uh, it's the most important thing, and it's the least recognized thing, mm -hmm. I would say, um, because it's hard. To, it's hard to. It's hard to um, sense. It's hard to to commonly sense. It has to be almost conjured in a moment, and then it's gone again, right? Mm -hmm. And our our project is to develop an ability to stay with it, while also staying with uh, um, the process of embodying it. Well, this, is, this is. is why tribalism and, right. and jingoism is so prevalent right now is because that's the meaning that people are looking for. They're finding in the superficial, dogmatic. Yes. Yeah, it's the shadow side of that impulse. Yes. And the impulse doesn't go away. It's there always. It's right here. It's, that's right. It's, right here. it's just behind you, you know, mm -hmm. or just in front of you. Yeah. Uh, or it's all, it, it surrounds us constantly. Yeah. Um, and I think what we're talking about also acknowledges... There is there is a, a whole systems theory here about acknowledging the the animal, the limbic, as well as as the developed, the um, the spiritual being, and 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 we've very much lost touch with the animal, and we've very much lost touch with the spiritual. What's left is is this material sense of I'm a you know this meat puppet that's it needs to eat and needs to be with people and do that like there's there's getting back in touch with those aspects is is a tall order because because of how the allure of convenience and because we are so susceptible to the dopaminic pathways and because corporative structures have discovered how to hijack that and how to monetize that and and so this gets back to attention and, and helping people recapture their attention and to recapture a single moment of being able to refocus on what is important and differentiating that from a, a fleeting look at your Facebook page or feed to taking the time to make a meal. Um, or to serve somebody, or to, um, you know, to bring a homeless person food instead of just giving them cash, or to 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 engage in a conversation, or to set your your preconceived notions aside to actually engage with someone and their passions, which you might not agree with. Like those are they they seem difficult, but they're at, at their core. It's it's really a matter of attention. Right, it's just a matter of, of, of moving your frame of reference to a place of 
taking the self out of the center of the picture. Yeah. yeah. Well, and building different frames of reference is also socially. So it's our work to provide the context for new, for for reality to emerge mm. in a way that doesn't have externalized costs. And we can do that. I mean, we, we can also sit around and talk about these things as if um, talking about them make, would make them exist, right? Because... Other, but we still have the institutions we have, and we still and the institutions are designed to to whether it's the political class uh, promoting its own um, livelihood and and positions and existence, mm-hmm. or uh, financialism um, exponentially uh, growing itself. Uh, these are or schools which are designed to ensure that we stay in those two lanes. <clears throat> Um, where no matter well how 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 well intentioned we are, um, the institutions are going to grind people up, and so we have to create different institutions as well. Yeah. Which yeah. is why uh, I, I I love that you've you've struck out on this journey for yourself. It's why I love the that Daniel and Zach started the Consilience Project with their partners mm-hmm. uh, because they see a need and they're doing something about it. Uh, it's why I love. Waldorf education. Um, it's there filling those needs yeah. from childhood onward. That's what the grocery does. That's what I hope and, so. Yeah. yeah it's I inspired think, by all of that for sure. Yeah. And, and and I think that that seed and that 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 focus, you know, again comes through. And the intention is there, whether in if not overt, <laughs> it's implied. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that uh um I, I struggle in the day-to-day work of, of running it, especially during the pandemic, yeah. with the practicality of, of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, but this conversation has really helped me clarify the ways in which um, um, that which seems um, of no utility, you know what I mean, <laughs> from, that pra- from a pragmatic standpoint, right. actually needs into the work that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Why am I doing this? What? Oh, right, it's service. Yeah. And at its core, it is serving. And that's, I think, when, when people connect to how what they do serves something, then the meaning emerges in, in a unique way. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I have one last question for you. Yeah, I see it coming. I like it. <laughs> what is the question that's not being asked? Um, I think it's, uh, um, what don't we know about reality? Something like that. That the contours of reality are disturbingly mysterious. And un- uncertainty is the, is the proper uh, attitude and posture toward, toward those levels of reality that we don't understand not an absolute boundary at the at the point of of where we're uncomfortable because of that uncertainty and um so i would say within that context what is it to be a human being in relationship to a complex reality something something along those lines um i i I think it needs to be asked i think there are people who are asking it but i think our in our, um, in the mainstream, that question needs to enter um, with profound epistemic humility that 
that the mystery is at the edges. Wonderful. What a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Me too, man. It'll be the first of several, I hope. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you again for being here for this and all of our previous conversations. Coming up in the new year, we'll speak to Mr. David Krellen, a.k.a. Armitage Shanks. Also, the amazing Michael Mead. And we have an in-depth discussion about creativity and spirituality with Mr. Stanley Hauerwas. Happy New Year to everyone. Be well.